So, on to more important things, if there are any. Last week, Landon so brilliantly laid out the importance of our thoughts. He reminded us that the battle for really our eternities is won or lost. Won, won, from Chicago. It's won or lost in our thoughts, okay? Our thought life is so important. Thoughts lead to actions, habits, character, destiny, right? Remember that? Now we know what it's like to to take inventory of our thoughts and to understand that we can assault the right, wrong ways of thinking before they become strongholds in our life. We're to take every thought captive and, and replace those wrong ideas with the right ones. So this week, I thought, let's talk about the right ones. Let's talk about those right ways of thinking. Landon set us up for that, but we didn't have time to get into that. So what are the right ideas that we should have? What are the right ways of thinking? Because many of the ways that we spend our time and our thoughts, we know are not really worthy of the right ways of thinking, you know. Think about what your attention goes to when you wake up in the morning or right before you go to sleep. Like, what do you have to check? You know, I've got, a, I've got my Tic Tacs and my Twitters and my YouTubes and the Instas and stuff like that. Like, oh, i got to check these things. Like, what draws our attention? What draws our thoughts, you know? Have you guys ever opened an app on your phone, checked it, you know, for notifications to see if you missed anything while the world was moving on without you, and then, like, all right, you're done, and then you open the app right back up, like, right away. Yeah. Same, you know what I mean? That's, like, that's weird. Our, our brains are being rewritten and hardwired to, like, check for that dopamine. Ah, I got to got to So much so that we, like, forget what we actually checked. It was so unfulfilling, so fleeting that we open it right back up again because it didn't actually fulfill anything in us. You know what I mean? Like, that's just proof right there that that's nothing that we should really be spending our time on. So, these things are fine in moderation, but if these things are replacing spending time with God in his word, we know it's bad, right? We know the right answer. We're here, we've been in church, so. I think the best way to approach looking at the right ideas is to look to Jesus as an example. But before we even do that, I think we can look at C.S. Lewis for a quote uh, and see what he says about our desires. He says this about our desires. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I've memorized that quote because I want that to be at the back of my mind all the time. I want that to remind me every day of what it is that I'm spending my time with. What am I desiring? Am I desiring mud pies in a slum? Or am I desiring a holiday at the sea with my Lord? You know, Those are the things I want to focus on. So looking at Jesus as an example, what do you think the most prolific thing that he taught on? The king of kings, the lord of lords, he's had three and a half years of ministry. What did he teach the most on? Of all the high and lofty ideas, what did he spend the most time telling people about? We could boil it down to one word or one phrase. Is it love? Possibly God is love. Paul says that in Corinthians. But if you look at Jesus' teaching, actually, the words that he spoke that we have recorded, in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, love is mentioned twice. 
two times. He says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He's actually even quoting the Old Testament, so it's really nothing even new that he's sharing with them. Is it forgiveness, also important? Is it, if you want the theological churchy Pauline answer, is it justification by faith? Also very important, but not that important unless you're like a theology major. What is the one thing that Jesus talks the most about? By far, by far, it's the kingdom of God. He talks about the kingdom of God more and more and more and more than anything else in scripture. How many of you have heard sermons specifically on the kingdom of God? A few. I haven't really. And it's a subject that we often kind of gloss over, at least I do. I read the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. I'm like, cool, you know, I'm gonna sell all that I have to find out. Kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that will grow into a tall tree. The birds can live in the branches. You're like, that's cool imagery, Jesus, but I don't really understand what you're talking about. And we move on. The kingdom of God, though, I feel is of the utmost importance. In fact, each of the three gospel writers of Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us a summary of Jesus' ministry, like a one-word thesis statement. You know, when your English professor is like, you know, if you can boil it down into one statement, if you can't, then you're too many, you know, a shotgun approach, you're taking too many different directions with your paper. One thesis statement. The first three gospel writers give us examples. Let's look at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Before we get deeper, let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, I pray that you can help us hone in on this vital subject that you spent so much time teaching and preaching to others. Lord Jesus, I pray that you can set ablaze in our heart a new understanding of your kingdom so that we can take that and go out from these four walls and go out onto this campus, this community, this city, Jesus, and preach your kingdom the way that you did. I pray that can be our focus, that your Holy Spirit can speak through me and to all of us, Jesus, about what to do with this new information. Lord, we don't just hear what you have to tell us tonight, but that we can be doers of your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. This is the one thesis statement. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Similar summaries found in Matthew 4.23 and 9.35 as well as in Luke. Why, of all the things, is this what we focus on? And, and Mark is, he's not telling us that Jesus went into his, you know, Chick-fil-A, not on Sunday, and he said, the kingdom of God is you know, here, you gotta repent and believe. And then he walked to the next, you know, the one on Knickerbocker from Sherwood, and he, and he went and he preached the, the kingdom of God, and he left. You know what I mean? It's not like Jesus was a robotically repeating these same things, okay? We understand that this is a summary and if you've met people who just robotically repeat that over and over again without actually living life with one another, then they've missed the point of this summary of Mark and the summary that's in Matthew. The time has come. What time? The kingdom of God is near. That's the time. Yeah. What do we do now that the kingdom of God is near? We repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? That the kingdom of God is here, okay? This whole thing is pointing to the kingdom of God. It's the central thing in this summary, and it's the central thing in Jesus' ministry. 
Everything in this summary points back to the kingdom. Whenever the gospel writers summarize the ministry of Jesus, they do so in terms of the kingdom of God. This is their focus of Jesus' ministry. This should be our focus as well. This is of the utmost importance. This concept is often neglected in our understanding, but I think it's vital for us to understand the message of Jesus. Last week we talked about directing our thoughts and our words to the right things, so I think it's only fitting that we should direct our thoughts to the same place that Jesus did, God and his kingdom. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. Also a good one to memorize, at least the 33 is easier. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. These things references a list of good things he talked about right before. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, here's a bunch of things that are good, but seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Even when he's preaching not about the kingdom of God, he's preaching about the kingdom of God. You see what I'm saying? Over and over again throughout scripture, I don't have time to go through all the places where he talks about the kingdom. But he talks about the pearl of great price. He talks about the treasure hidden in the field, the mustard seed growing into a large tree. I encourage you, when you're reading the New Testament, to underline, highlight, take a note of, journal every time Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. I've made a habit of underlining when he says the kingdom of God is like, is like, is like, because I want to know what the kingdom of God is like so that I can be an example of it to others. But where do we begin? Where do we begin? We have to be on the same page when we talk about the kingdom. I don't know about you guys, but I have an idea in my head of what a kingdom is. And it is not the right idea as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. I think of ancient history. I think of 100-year-old Queen Elizabeth II, right? The kingdom of England. I think about random places in Europe that are still monarchies for some reason. Probably for tax purposes, so. Because there's really no point to it. Uh, what is a kingdom? What do we think of? We often think of kingdom in terms of a realm or a place, a space, a geography, like, of a kingdom. But the kingdom of God is not a place to which we are going. It's not a geographical place. It's not a matter of space at all. It's actually a matter of time. Space and time. Physics friends right here? We're not actually going to talk about quantum mechanics. We're not going to talk about space and time. We're not talking about Ant-Man returning from the quantum realm to save something or other. <laughs> Sorry. Here's the deal. The kingdom of God is not a matter of space or a geographical realm, but it does have to do with rule and reign. Yeah. The kingdom of God is it's the time in which God will exercise his sovereign rule over mankind. Lots of words there, but very important. The kingdom of God is the time in which God exercises his sovereign rule over the affairs of mankind. The many times that Jesus preaches on the kingdom of God, he is asked what? He's asked when, he's asked where. And when he's asked where, it's always a matter of geography. Or not, sorry, not geography. It's a matter of where do I see evidence of it? Because the people that he was speaking to had an idea when he said the kingdom is near. They had this idea of the end times. 
The timing of the kingdom of God is the important part here. The timing is so important. Jesus speaks of the kingdom in two different ways in two different times. And this is, this is tough stuff. I understand we're going to get a little theological. We're going to get a little heady in that regard. So hopefully we don't lose you. But on the one hand, he speaks of the kingdom of God as a present event. It's something that is currently happening. But just as surely, Jesus speaks of God, the kingdom of God, as a future reality, a future event. And so it's both a present reality and a future event to come. Again, space and time, kind of, right? We're talking metaphysics, but we're not talking metaphysics. In the future event, he's talking about a, a prophetic, apocalyptic tradition that the Israelites would have been very familiar with. In this idea that they had, there's this called the great reversal of order. The last will be first. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who are hungry will be fed. Those who are fed will be made hungry. Those who are wise will lose their you know, wisdom. There's all of this reversal of order that Jesus is talking about. The poor will get riches. The rich will become poor. And the people of Israel understood this. Because of the Old Testament, all the prophetic, apocalyptic, end times things that they read and studied as a people. They were talking about the great messianic banquet. They're talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's this idea that there's this huge table at the end times. People will get to gather together. The poor will be welcomed to the table. This is pretty cool. So if you read the feeding of the 5,000, you got the five loaves, two fishes. Fish. Jesus takes that amount of food and he feeds 5,000 people. Right after that, what happens? They say, hey, we should make that guy our king. Jesus has to spend his entire next day, his entire day of ministry saying, no, that's not the time. That's not what I did that. Why did they, have you ever read that and thought, did they just think it was really cool that he brought that? Yes, it's pretty cool that he did that. But it's because they had this expectation of a huge feast. And this guy comes along and he feeds the poor the outcasts, the women and children, the people that were neglected by society. Jesus takes them, welcomes them in, performs a miraculous thing, and gives them food. And they said, whoa, this is the guy that we've been waiting for our whole time. And they were right, but he had to stay the hand and say, no, no, not yet. Because they had this expectation. And we have to kind of understand as we go through this, they had this expectation of what the Messiah would look like, of what the end times would look like. And Jesus came and he fulfilled some of them and kind of piqued their interest but he didn't fulfill them always the same way that they expected. So when he did that, he was speaking of the kingdom of God as a future event. You know, the blessed are the poor, they will inherit the earth. These are future things. It's a future event. But the same amount of times, or similar amount of times, he speaks of the kingdom of God as already happening, as a present reality. He says, already the poor are sitting at the table and this great reversal is taking place. He says at one point in time, now is not the time for fasting, but the time for feasting, because the bridegroom himself is already sitting at the table with the outcasts. So he's telling them about the future and about the present. Kind of crazy. In Luke 17, verse 20 and 21, he's talking to the Pharisees. They said, yo, when's the kingdom coming? Again, they usually asked when. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. He's telling them, after I feed 5,000, don't say, look, this is the time. After I raise someone from the dead, don't say yet that this is the time. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. 
Now this particular verse is very difficult because that phrase in the midst is one word in the Greek and it can mean within or among. Here I chose the translation meaning among, in, in the midst of. Many translations will say within. I don't think that that's the case because there's no other hint anywhere in scripture where Jesus says anything about the kingdom of God that like spiritualizes it inside of us. That is radically different than every other time he preaches in the kingdom of God. Plus, he's talking to the Pharisees. And I don't think if anyone he was going to say, yo, in your hearts, you got it, you got it, the kingdom's there, <laughs> it would not have been the Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs. He basically said, the inside of your heart is cold and dead. So it wouldn't make any sense for him to say the kingdom of God is in your heart. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so I think we can safely say that the best translation is among or in the midst of. Yeah. And if that's the case, that tells us right there, it's a present thing that's happening. He clearly has said, they said when, he said now. It is now. Sometimes it's in the future, but sometimes it's now. It's both a present event and a future reality. It's kind of crazy. In Luke chapter 16, right before this, he says this, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it or making their way into it violently. This verse is crazy. He is dividing history into two unique, distinct time periods. Up until John, John the Baptist, the law and the prophets were preached. Now, right now when I'm saying this, here among you, the good news of the kingdom is being preached. It's different. Things have changed. He stepped onto the scene and history is divided. Yeah. We know that BC, AD, or whatever you want to call it these days, Jesus is dividing history by his presence because he's ushering in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come and it's being preached and we can't enter into it. It's a welcoming thing. Jesus brought with him that presence of the kingdom and we are to enter into it and share it with others. This is a monumental shift in history. And speaking of a monumental shift, let's take a quick commercial break for a minute. Does anybody want to play a game? I just lost the game. It's a lot of you guys. Took you all down with me. Who wants to play a game, okay? I'm going to ask a question, and we're going to play Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I... I'm not a millionaire, but I do have $30, okay? That's close, that's pretty close. So we're gonna play who wants to be a 20 to $30 heir. I'm gonna ask a question to the audience and you guys can raise your hand. I'll pick a couple of you guys, I'll answer and if the first one gets it right, you get to come on up and play for $20, okay? Who wants to be a millionaire? You, you play for a certain amount of dollars for an easy question. Play for more money, a million, 20, here. Uh, if you get the second question right, but if you get it wrong, the second question, you lose all your money, okay? So we'll see what happens. I'm gonna ask one question here and we'll see. All right, does anybody know, don't put the slide up, don't you do it, Emily. You better be paying attention back there. <laughs> She's probably asleep. Uh, I'm gonna ask a question. The day, month, year of D-Day, D-Day, the Normandy invasion, World War II. 
the day, the month, and the year. Dang. We got two over here, but Brayden heard me talk earlier, and Megan's my cousin. There's a bias. That's Pearl Harbor. That's December 7, 1941, a day which will live in infamy. The United States was suddenly and deliberately attacked by the Empire of Japan. All right, you looked it up and that's fine. It means you're probably gonna have a really hard chance at $20. All right, I'm sorry, I can't pick you, Brayden. You were with me earlier, I'm so sorry. You were cheating. <laughs> it was your fault for listening to me talk earlier, sorry. All right, what is the day? Yeah, come on up. So you gotta leave your Google machine there, okay? So you get $10, okay? And you gotta, just like in the show, you gotta tell everyone your name, uh, what you're gonna do with all the money, like what charity you're gonna donate to after you win the million dollars, all this stuff. Okay, my name first. Okay, I'm Leslie. Okay, what well, are like, you gonna do with all the money you win? Um, I'm probably, um... <laughs> 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 yeah, sure. This time I got Always. Yeah, always. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, I'm going to ask you one more question. You can walk away right now. $10. $10 to your name that you didn't have before. What kind of question is it? It's going to be the same category, same type of question. Okay, here's the thing, here's the thing. Yes, exactly. So on the OG show, for those of you who remember, Regis Philbin, he would let you phone a friend 50-50 or ask the audience. So I'm going to let you phone every friend or ask the audience technically here. So if you don't know the answer, but I'm gonna watch people, and if someone clearly was on their phone looking it up, they're not gonna get it. Uh, I'm gonna ask you a similar question, but if you get it wrong, you lose your $10. You get no food, right, no money. But 50, 50, you're gonna give me two I'm, not, I'm just gonna let you ask the audience. That's the, you already used that lifeline to get here. To get all the way up to $10, you, already, you just get to ask the audience. Okay? <laughs> There's smart people in here, yeah, yeah. But no one really seemingly knew the answer to that first one, so that's... Not super promising. You want to do it? Okay. All right, I'll take the $10 from you now. Because if you get it right, you get 20. You're not walking out of here with 10 already at this point. 30 total, yeah. All right, I'll give you 30 if you get this right. All right. <laughs> Who wants to be a 30 year? Okay. Same category, same question. And you can ask the audience, but we're going to time you, okay? And you're not going to get to just sit for like five minutes. I mean, it's not that hard. <laughs> that's why, that's why. I make the rules in my game, so. That's lost the game yet. Um, okay. <laughs> so that was D-Day. That was the Normandy invasion, Saving Private Ryan, Tom Hanks, right? What was the date? There's two actually right answers. I'll take either one. Two right answers. What was the day of the war officially ending, World War II? It's called VE Day, Victory in Europe, or VJ Day, Victory in Japan, okay? There's a famous picture with the, you'll see in a second, but the answer's up there. Don't do it yet. No, no, don't do it. No, no, yeah. There's your first answer you got, right? We have VE Day, the day of the war, victory in Europe, ending. VJ Day, victory in Japan. I'll give you a hint. It's 1945. Thursday. It's after 1944. <laughs> right after. <laughs> so you have a two in 365 chance of getting it right. I just need the month and day at this point. I already gave you the year, so. <laughs> you can ask an audience, yeah. What was the day when we signed the treaty, the victory in Europe or victory in Japan? My friend thinks 11-11, but she's another year. September 
1945, I'm telling you guys the year, 1945. Grant says September 4th, because that's his birthday. Not because he actually knows anything. Jarrett might know, but you, gotta, you get one chance. <laughs> I'm gonna go double check while you decide who you're gonna pick on. <laughs> Pick one person, either answer is correct. Adam. Skylar says Adam. All right, Adam, one shot, do not miss your chance. Opportunity comes once in a lifetime, yo. May 8th, what year? Yeah. You gotta give him some of that money though. You gotta give him some of that. Thank you for playing, you got $30 now. That's a lot of food. Hey, Adam, did you know that off the top of your head? Or how does, was it Google, Safari, Firefox, Skylar? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, I feel a little sus on that one. VE Day, May 8th, 1945. VJ Day, which is where this picture is located. August 14th, 1945. Why did we play that game? I felt like we needed a break after talking about the kingdom of God. I needed a break. But there is a purpose. Here's the thing, May 8th, 11 months after D-Day, VJ Day, some other more months after that, I'm not gonna do the math. D-Day, it saw the Allied troops storming the beaches of Normandy in the largest land invasion in the history of the world. It had been planned for over an entire year, and on that day, the Allied troops planted their flags on those beaches and said, this is our land. Pretty cool, I'm, I'm proud to be an American right now. I'm about to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Wait, what's the Texas one? I don't even know that one. There's a Texas pledge too. We don't have an Illinois pledge where I'm from. Very weird. <laughs> no, no, you already got your money. No more money. I don't have any more money. On that day, US troops, allied troops, stepped foot on those beaches. Many lives were lost, but they planted that flag and said, this is our land. From that day forward, the outcome of the war was set. It was obvious. The war had been won, there was no going back. The Nazis had to retreat. But look, 11 months later, victory in Europe took place. June, July, August, three more months later, 14 months total, victory in Japan took place. During those 11 months, more American lives were lost than in the entire war up to that point, on all theaters, on all fronts. But the outcome had already been decided, you see? It was just a matter of when. It was just a matter of when the war would finally be over. There were still battles. There was still a terrible, long, arduous winter in the Battle of the Bulge. Lives were lost in that 11-month and 14-month period of time. Even though the outcome was decided, it was just a matter of when. And you see, this is exactly how the New Testament understands the kingdom of God. It is a past event, or in the time, a present reality when Jesus said the kingdom of God has come, and a future event that will come, it's just a matter of when. We live in that 11-month period of time in Europe. <laughs> Thankfully we don't, right? America. But we live in that period of time. God has said from the moment he put his son on this earth and said, this is is my soil, this is my planet. 
He took over enemy-occupied territory and said, I will decide the outcome right here and now. And the feet of Jesus on the earth set that in motion. When Jesus said, up until this point, the law and prophets have been preached, thank God. But now the kingdom of God is preached because he understood that. He knew what he was here to do. And he knew that his presence on earth marked a change in history forever. From that point forward, we can now understand and know that the kingdom of God is in our midst. It is among us. And we can advance just as the troops had to continue advancing. There were still battles. There was still war, literally, and strife. And lives were lost. But we have the assurance of knowing that the victory will come at the second coming of Jesus. That VE, that VJ day will come when Jesus comes again. We know that. But we have to be okay not knowing when. That is where our faith comes into play. That is where we must trust the God who's come before us. It's so interesting because we want to know when. The Pharisees asked when at the time of Jesus. We still ask when. When is it coming? What do I need to do? And Jesus says, I've done it. I've lived, died, and been raised from the dead. Just walk with me. That's what he asks us to do. So how shall we then live? As Francis Schaeffer would say, I'm hoping that we can walk away from here tonight with a little bit more of an understanding of the kingdom of God. We're not going to fully understand it. I don't fully understand it. It's easy to learn and hard to master, but we can walk out of here knowing enough to advance the kingdom of God here on this earth and have the assurance of knowing that Jesus will come again. Let's look at what Jesus said when he sent out his disciples in Matthew 10, 7 and 8. He sent out his 12 and said, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And he sends out the 72 in Luke 10, 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is what we are to do. We are to preach the kingdom of God and serve those around us. In very specific terms there, but as a general rule, we serve as Jesus served. I think the best way to practically apply these things as we wrap up is by understanding what we like to call the three R's. The first of these is reading. This is what we call a real devotional life. We can read the Bible, and ODGs stands for old dead guys and old dead gals. We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> and we pray and we worship. This is what's a real devotional life. We read the word of God. We find out what he means when he talks about the kingdom of God. We find out what he means when he talks and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one has ever said that in history. That's ridiculously radical of Jesus to say that. What does it mean to say that I am the truth? How bold, how arrogant, unless it's actually true in his part. As we read the Bible and read relationships of others who have spent time with him as well, as we pray and worship, we can fully understand or more fully understand the kingdom of God and Jesus as truth and how to live it out. I like to say it this way, that God's laws can be found in his word. That God's laws are descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. 
God's laws are descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. If we want to bring reality of the kingdom to others, read God's word. Spend time understanding his laws, his truth, his commands. And also, I believe that that helps us be more accurate in depicting truth to others. Because otherwise, we're just basing it off of what we know or our experiences. Truth has to be absolute. And if we want to share it with others, we need to be in God's word. I'll say it this way. We must conform our desires to truth instead of conforming truth to our desires. We must conform our desires to truth. We take the things that we have, feelings and desires, and hold them up in the light of truth of Jesus, rather than doing it the other way around. That's how you get twisted ideas of the Bible, twisted ideas of God, if you conform truth to your own desires. So we can do that together as we read the Word of God. The second R is relationships. We must be intentional with our friendships. We must have real, true friendships with one another. And we must invite the kingdom of God in our midst. We must invite others into that. As we bring others into this kingdom of God thing that we're doing, that we're advancing here on earth, we'll have real friendships. We'll be vulnerable and transparent with others. I remember when I first got to Chi Alpha, it was the very first day that I stepped foot in Texas. I got moved into my dorm as an 18-year-old, thought I had it all figured out, came from Chicago, was dating this girl for a year, followed her a thousand miles, stepped foot in Texas. Within three weeks, we had broken up and I never talked to her again. But it's okay. It got better. Because I started developing real relationships, real intentional friendships with people. I remember that I was very sad and distraught, but I do remember that these guys poured into my life. They loved me, they treated me with dignity and respect, and they taught me what it's like to have a real friendship and a real relationship with someone, ultimately also with God himself. And I began to, to transform my way of thinking. It, it changed everything. I remember my grandma, she called me uh, wonderfully kind uh, from Illinois and was crying, and she said, when are you coming home? Because they knew the reason I had went, and that reason had then ceased to exist. So she said, when are you coming home to Illinois? And I remember in that moment, even just having the alacrity to say, I I'm not coming back home. I'm staying here. Why? Why? What? Because the girl's gone. Y yes, thank you, Grandma. <laughs> thank you so much. I said, yes, she is. <laughs> but I found something better. I found a pearl of great price. I found a treasure hidden in a field and I've sold all my possessions to have it joyfully. I said, I found these guys. They've introduced me to a person, Jesus. They have real friendships and relationships with me and with one another and I want more of that. And I stayed because of that community that I saw. Those real relationships kept me in Texas, which was a good thing, a very good thing because God wanted to change the way that I saw people and valued people. And he did that as I continued to read and spend time in his word and develop those same friendships and relationships with those around me. And the last R, if the band can come back up as we finish here, the last R is responsibility. Real responsibility. We are called to reconcile others to God. 
We are called to reconcile others to God. That's where we get our name, Chi Alpha. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ, reconciling the lost lambs of God back to himself. And these things go in order. You read, understand the truth, get why the kingdom of God and Jesus and truth are important. You have real relationships. You step out of your comfort zone. I remember having a friend who was introverted, well, to say the least. She was said, asked by her small group leader, hey, go, go meet that person. So she, she walked like this. Say, Pam is the person I'm going to go meet, okay? In the cafeteria, same Houston State. This is how she walked over there. Sit with a okay. <laughs> that was her first attempt at trying to reach out and build a real relationship, a real friendship with responsibility. It didn't work in that moment, but she was obedient to what God asked, and that muscle that was so foreign to her to develop got stronger, and, and she became a small group leader, and she wonderfully has brought women to Jesus, and there will be people in eternity standing beside us because of her commitment to step out of her comfort zone, her natural way of being a person, and say, yes, Jesus, you are worthy for my awkward minutes and moments and looking like a fool for your sake. And, and that's what we are called to do with this real responsibility. Remember what uh, Landon said last week? He said, oh, so good. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And that's so good. We oftentimes put shackles on what God can use us for by saying, ah, I'm not good enough. I'm not that type. I'm not meant for that. And God says, just be obedient, and I will qualify you. I will equip you with everything that you need. And that's what it means to spread the kingdom of God to others. I hope that after tonight, we can no longer claim an ignorance of what the kingdom of God is, that we can move forward understanding, at least on a basic level, that it's here and now and in the future. We don't know when, but we can trust God and we can live it out for others' sake using those three R's. And if you're sitting here and you've never honestly thought about the kingdom of God or, or truth or, or Jesus in that sense, I would encourage you to ask for a hunger in that area, to really ask the Lord to open up your heart, to really ask him to tear down those walls
step out of our comfort zone. So I'll pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you trust us. That you trust us enough to go out into this world and bring back those who have not yet returned to you. I pray that we can understand your kingdom. We can be joyful that it is here now and trust that it will fully come.